the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in, as always. And especially, I appreciate that you refer the show to your friends and family. And I'm very glad to be with you today. I am sad over what has been going on the last week or two. Dreadfully sad. And I thought it might be helpful if we talked about what really God has for us. And so... About 10 years ago, I wrote my first book, and it's called God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And it was quite a trial to write it, I must say. But it really has helped a lot of people, and it's also on Audible. If you want to listen to it that way, you can as well. So what I want you to think about is God's wanting us to have a life beyond our wildest dreams. And so Ephesians chapter 320, this is out of the Message Bible. It says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. And I just love how kind our God is. And I think that we want to really be praying for Israel and what has happened, the atrocities that are going on that we can really ask God for some real grace on this country and and that we'll be able to maybe hear some miracles that have occurred. So I want to give you another verse. This is John 10.10, and it's out of the Amplified Bible. And it says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. 
That's God's desire for his people, all of his people, his, his universe. That's his desire. And I think it's important for us to be focusing on that and not, not because I don't think that what's going on in Israel is, is something we shouldn't be focusing on, but I want you to really think about the amount of help and energy we can give to that part of the world if we are also taking care of ourselves. So what is an abundant life? You know, if Jesus came to give us this life, then we see that his life, lived abundantly, was not due to wealth, power, prestige, looks, or popularity. Then what made his life abundant? We often feel like the above list is abundance and is the things we find ourselves striving for. It's difficult for us to comprehend, but this is not where happiness lies. Now, when I was writing this book, this was very interesting to me. And I thought, how interesting to see these two words side by side. Happiness lies. This is because God is not trying to give us, quote-unquote, happy as a goal. He realizes that happiness is a natural outcome of an abundant life. That the thief, which we know is Satan, has referred to in the verses that we're using as a foundation for this lecture really realizes that if I pursue happiness, I will simply be achieving pleasure, which only creates a bigger void in my life that must be continuously fed as it becomes bigger and deeper, screaming more loudly to be fulfilled. All we need to do is read the book of Ecclesiastes to see that the wisest man ever lived found the pursuit of pleasure meaningless. So think about that. So what made the life of Jesus abundant? Well, number one, he was free. He had a deep relationship with his creator. He had a deep and meaningful relationships with other humans. He had a clear conscience, never betraying his own value system. He realized his value was based solely in being loved by his father. And lastly, and most importantly, he had meaning and purpose. He fulfilled, he walked out the very thing he was uniquely created to do without apologizing. I mean, that, that's amazing. So what does this mean to you and me? How am I able to help or allow or let God infuse in me this abundant life that Jesus walked out? Now, most of us are willing and probably wanting all of the above, right? However, there's something more than the above which Jesus was willing to do in order to have the abundant life he professes to offer. So what is this quote-unquote one thing that Jesus did that had more power, offered more life, and continues to be the defining difference between he and any other person or entity? Well, he was willing to die. He was willing to die for others, for us. Die to himself. The great te- remember the great temptation he had to go through in the desert with Satan. And he was willing to die for his God. So in this, in this book, we'll be addressing the second issue that he was willing to die to. And this is a really important one. This, this particular issue is this was his willingness to die to himself. 
to die to his way, his comfort, his wants, his good intentions, his opportunity for accomplishments and the option to fulfill whatever he knew was his destiny, the void of his creator. And so this is why we want to think about, wow, this is where the three temptations came. Because Satan is wanting to ruin that. See, as well as dying to a shorter, easier, faster, less painful way to his divinely ordained destiny, he knew that in order to be what he was created to be, he would have to do it the creator's way. Now, I can tell you, that's a painful thing for me. Because I had a lot of ideas that I told God about that I thought would be great and would help the world and my family and friends and everybody. And I had to die to a lot of things that I thought God would really be excited about. But I had to trust and know that his, the creator, the father, is needing to be the very core of my being. And that I have to trust the father and to know that he has the best way, the eternal way and ultimately the most abundant way. So let's for a moment truly understand the word abundant or abundance. So let's, let me tell you what abundance is. Being more than enough without being excessive, brimming, bulging, bursting, chock full, <laughs> crammed, fat, filled, bold, jammed, loaded, packed, saturated, overfilled, overflowing, alive, bursting, and abounding. That's a lot. This is only a glimpse of what God has in mind for us when he uses the word, quote-unquote, abundance, to describe the life he came to give us. So God always goes first. He always sets the course. He is, quote-unquote, the way. Apparently, this meaning, this might mean that something has to die in me in order to make room for the true abundant life God is offering. This brings us to the axiom that God inspired when I was asked to speak in East Africa on the story of Lazarus. Now, let, let us first understand what, what an axiom is. An axiom is a premise or a starting point of reasoning. So it's universally accepted principle. It's a self-evident truth that requires no proof. So with this understanding, this is how God inspired the following axiom for me to write. And this is what it is. What has to die in order for you to live? See, that was a tough one. What has to die in my life in order for me to actually live for Christ? To actually attain what God intended for me to be? Not my ways, his ways. He's the creator, I'm the object. And so, this, doesn't, this is not easy. What has to die in order for you to live? What are the things that you're hang on, hanging on to that you keep thinking you can hang on to them and still have the life that you want to have? What are the things that are getting in the way of you, your hopes, your dreams, visions, you know, not being able to forgive someone? What, what are those things that have to die in order for you to actually have the life that God has destined for you to have. Now, of course, we all know that, quote-unquote, simple does not mean easy. However, we have a great God 
who has gone before us and knows the way. He does not grow tired, and he understands that suffering through death produces life. Not only that, but he also promises us comfort through the suffering and tells us in the Psalms, this is 138, verse 8, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And that was revolutionizing for me because I always think I have to do everything on my own. And so to think that the Lord is going to fulfill this purpose for me, the, the, the reason that he made me, he's going to fulfill it whether I participate or not, (laughs) I guess, in some ways. And so it helped me to recognize, well, I'm not all on my own trying to do what I think God is wanting me to do and hoping I do it right. And see, in Philippians chapter 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and sharing, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now that's quite an idea. So I'm so glad that you're joining me today. We're going to take a break here. Make sure you come back and listen to the next segment. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining and also for letting your friends know about the show. And we are talking today about a life beyond our wildest dreams and how God wants to do that. And in lieu of what this world is going through, I think it would really be helpful for us to go back to some scriptures and recognize that 2,000 years ago, people were really listening to all of this because this is so imperative to our life as as a human and one that is going to be with God forever. So when we talk about a life beyond my wildest dreams, the verse, Ephesians 3.20, and this is out of the Message Bible, I love it, and it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. And John 10.10 says the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and enjoy it and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So when we talk about this abundant life, what made the life of Jesus abundant? Well, first and foremost, he was free. So he had a deep relationship with God. He had deep and meaningful relationships with other humans. He also had a clear conscience, never betraying his own value system. And he realized his value was based solely in being loved by his father. And lastly, and most importantly, he had meaning and purpose, which means he walked out the very thing he was uniquely created to do without apologizing. Well, so what does this mean to you and me? How am I able to let or allow God to infuse in me this abundant life that Jesus walked out? Am I even willing? Do I even want to? (laughs) Right? It may mean a lot of change. So there's something more than the above which Jesus was willing to do in order to have the abundant life that he professes to offer. 
What is that one thing that Jesus did that had more power, offered more life, and continues to be the defining difference between he and any other person or entity? Well, like we said at the last part of the first segment here, he was willing to die. He was willing to die for others, which is us. He was willing to die to himself, and that we see in the great temptation of Christ. And he was willing to die for his God. And so in this text, we'll be addressing this second issue that he was willing to die to. And this was his willingness to die to himself, which means he had to die to his way, to his comfort, his wants, his good intentions, his opportunity for accomplishment, and the option to fulfill whatever he knew was his destiny and whatever he wanted, devoid of his creator, right? So, as well as dying to a shorter, easier, faster, less painful way to his divinely ordained destiny, he knew that in order to be what he was created to be, he had to do it God's way. Now, that, that's tough, right? He had to trust that his creator, his father, knew him to the very core of his marrow, that he would trust that his father who had created him knew the best way, the eternal way, and ultimately the most abundant way. So I want to talk about this word abundance. What does abundance mean? Well, let me read to you a little definition here. Abundance, being more than enough without being excessive, brimming, bulging, bursting, chock full, crammed, fat, filled, full, jammed, <laughs> loaded, packed, saturated, overfilled, overflowing, alive, bursting, and abounding. Now, this is only a glimpse of what God has in mind for us when he uses the word abundance to describe the life that he came to give us. So God always goes first. He always sets the course. He is, quote-unquote, the way. Now, apparently, this means something has to die in order to make room for the true abundant life God is offering his people, which brings us to this axiom that we were talking about in the first um, segment here, that when I was in, asked to speak in East Africa on the story of Lazarus, now I want you to really understand what an, what an axiom is. An axiom is a premise or a starting point of reasoning, or like a unily, universally accepted principle and a self-evident truth that requires no proof. So with this understanding, when God inspired this following axiom for me, it was what has to die in order for you to live. This is what God is saying to me. Cynthia, what do you have in your life that needs to go away in order for you to really live the way I intended for you to live and have all the things that I intended for you to have? So what has to die in you in order for you to live and get everything that I had dreamed for you while I was creating you? Now, of course, we all know that, quote-unquote, simple does not mean easy. However, we have a great God who has gone before us and knows the way. He does not grow tired, and he understands that suffering through death produces life. I'm just, let me say that one more time. He does not grow tired, and he understands that suffering through death produces life. Not only that, 
but he also promises us comfort through the suffering and tells us in Psalms. 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And I love this. This is Philippians 3.10. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing and his suffering, becoming like him in death, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So think about that. He's alive. He's alive. He went through death and he came back alive. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, this is the Message Bible. It says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master. Jesus, the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through that hard time so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort we get a full measure of that too. I love that verse. See, it's a, we know that Jesus is the consummate, quote-unquote, servant leader. He leads the way by example. He doesn't just teach a concept. He walks it out fully and completely before asking or expecting us to walk the same path. Yet again, he promises us in Psalms 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and see, there cannot be a shadow without light, right? I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. So again, what has to die in your life in order for you to fully live it? So come back in the next segment. We're going to talk about those two deaths that we have to probably go through in order to have a truly fulfilled life. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and so grateful for you joining in today and telling your friends and family about the show as well. And so we are talking today about a life beyond our wildest dreams and what that really means. Because we have so much death and destruction that are going on in our world right now. It's terrifying. It's sobering. It's disgusting. And it's very painful. When I first heard what was happening over in Israel, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And so I really think this is a really important time for us to be recognizing that we need to figure out the life that God has planned solely for us so that we can do our part the way that he needs us to do it. And so I'm going to go back to this um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, because I just love this message, and it's referred to as the rescue. And it says, All praise to God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we grow through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times 
so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. So we know that Jesus is known as the consummate servant leader. He leads the way by example. He doesn't just teach a concept. He walks it out fully and completely. And yet again, he promises us in Psalms, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. So this is kind of where we left off. What has to die in order for you to live? See, there are two types of death that occur in order to produce and sustain life. The death of a good thing in order to become the best thing. See, this is usually what the person is destined or created for. The second death is the death of the thing that's killing me. And how many of us fight to keep alive that thing that is actually killing us? This is exactly what addictions are. This is what fear is based in. And so we want to think about this, the death of the thing that is killing me. Why am I walking out a living death? So realize if the first isn't allowed or encouraged to die, it will kill me, okay? However, the second will most assuredly kill me. See, we obviously have both going on simultaneously at different times in our life. That there's this death of a good thing in order to get the best thing, and then there's the death of the thing that, wow, if I don't put death to that thing, it's going to kill me. So let's identify more succinctly what the first type of death entails. This is most simply understood by using the analogy of the the seed, quote-unquote the seed. This is an integral part of growing and developing in order to be what God has ultimately designed. So the first type of death, that's the death of a good thing in order for me to become the best thing. So this is John 12, verses 24 and 25 out of the NIV Bible. It says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seed dies to itself. A thought-provoking concept to consider regarding the seed. Humans can count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit, but only God knows the amount of fruit derived from that one single seed. I mean, isn't that incredible? And the author that wrote that is unknown. We don't even know who did it. But it's such a powerful idea that we can count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit but only God knows the amount of fruit that is derived from that one single seed. So do not let the enemy minimize who you are, what you know, how you feel, what you want to do, and what you feel your calling in your own life is. Don't let him talk you out of that. And so we want to make sure that we are really following this. And in John 12, 24, It says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, excuse me, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. 
But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. I just think it is so beautiful and so timely for us in this time where our world is so in chaos that we remind ourselves why we are here. Thank you for listening. Join me in the next segment. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And I want to encourage you to go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And you, there will be a lot of things that are there for you to take advantage of. And we have lots of um, handouts. We have, ch- we have notes from the shows if you want to go back and, and read it more. And so I want you to take advantage of what we have there on the website. So we are talking today about this axiom, what has to die in order for you to live? And see, when I really thought about this, I realized what has to die in order for me to live. Because a lot of things, I want to keep everything sometimes, right? I only want the things to die that I don't like. And so what this is telling me is that something has to die in order for the best to come. So the good has to die so that I can have the best. Now, this doesn't mean it's easy. This is not easy at all. And we do grow tired, and we do grow weary, and we, even though we might understand that suffering through death produces life, it doesn't necessarily make us feel good, right? And so when we think about this idea in Psalms 138, verse 8, it says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Wow, okay. But this is still going to be a lot of hard work. But it is so worth it. And so what it says in Acts verse, um, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So we know, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jesus is the consummate servant leader. He leads the way by example. He doesn't just teach a concept. He walks it out fully and completely before asking or expecting us to walk the same path. Yet again, he promises us in Psalms 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, see, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. So now let's really talk about this again. What has to die in order for you to live? Now, the most um, popular one many times is is an addiction. So if you don't, you know, kill the addiction, you will die of the addiction. So we know that that's a very, that's a good example. But what I want you to think about is we're talking about what has to die in order for you to live, in order for you to produce and sustain life. So we have two things. We have the death of a good thing in order to become the best thing. And this is like what we talked about last uh, in the last segment. That's usually the person that's destined or created for. This is kind of what we think we, we appeared on the earth for. And so we have to die to something in order for that thing to live. Now, realize, if the first isn't allowed or encouraged to die, it will then kill me. Yes, it will. And <clears throat> one of the, great, the greatest examples to see this are people that will not let something go. What they, mu- they won't let a relationship go. Even if the person has said, no, I'm out, I'm done. And so 
that need for that relationship to work is going to kill that person if they can't let go of the reality of the situation. So realize that the second will almost assuredly kill me too. We see we obviously have both going on simultaneously at different times in our life. So let, let us identify more succinctly what the first type of death entails. So this is most simply understood by using the analogy of the seed. And this is an integral part of growing and developing in order to be what God has ultimately designed. So the first type of death, the death of a good thing, in order to become the best thing. So in John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seed dies to itself. And a thought-provoking concept to consider regarding the seed Humans can count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit, but only God knows the amount of fruit derived from the one seed. And we have it again in the Message Bible. John chapter 12, verses 24-25 says, Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, Anyone who holds on to life as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. See, a seed must die in order to live the life it was intended for. Now, we don't revere seeds. We don't admire them. We're not in awe of seeds. On the contrary, we look forward anxiously and with excited anticipation for the quote-unquote bloom so what is your seed that you must die in order for God to bloom in you? In order for you to be his original manifest creation. All right, I don't want you to nurse the seed. Don't protect the seed. Let what is inside of it burst forth. And don't abandon the seed because you don't know what it is. Water it and nourish it. Do this because it may be buried at this time. But God has planted that seed of life in you, of him, in you, and with him. So you need to trust him. But it must die before it can live. So don't be afraid to let the seed die, to break out of the outward shell. We are very used to the bondage, to the box we are in. And we can look at the metaphor of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, the tadpole becomes a frog, or the mighty oak comes out of an acorn. So if these necessarily metamorphoses are prematurely interrupted or unnaturally delayed, the organism will die. And we see this in the human most aptly described in the famous movie, that, that movie title, Failure to Launch. Now, it may seem a funny movie, but the reality of this story is tragic, especially as we see it played out in our culture, our families, and marriages. What a tragedy for the individual who never becomes all they were destined to be just like the eagle who thought he was a chicken. <clears throat> Excuse me. A similar tragedy is seen in the story of the first humans created, Adam and Eve. They were exposed to knowledge before their maturity would support it and went against their creator and the creative process he had for their lives. When we go against creation and interrupt or impede God's timing, the creation either dies or fails to thrive. And we are left with the agony of depression and despair. 
See, the enzymes necessary to create the wings, you know, of this, this, you know, butterfly is the struggle to get out of the cocoon that was recently protecting it. See, further travesties occur when children are either not encouraged to grow up or need to grow up sooner than they should. So you may want to ask yourself the following questions in response to this type of death. Am I refusing to move forward in ways that are age and circumstance appropriate? For example, am I resisting age-appropriate tasks like getting a driver's license, getting a job, a checking account, necessary risk-taking? It could be a refusal to move on to the next life stage, wearing clothing that's not age-appropriate, or continuing to take care of yourself as if you were in college, refusing to quote-unquote get a life after your children have grown. Refusing to move forward with technology. See, all these things will impede my necessary growth path. And remember the seed becoming a tree, which needs to be pruned and maybe even replanted. So what am I resisting? Or what do I want to ignore or deny? Am I unwilling to go through the necessary grief and loss process in order to move on? Am I unwilling to let go of a certain person or a group or a decade, or a time, a thought paradigm, maybe a belief system? Am I unwilling to even acknowledge that maybe I could think differently? Am I willing to allow a system or systems to die? You know, that's when people say, well, this is always how I do it. And I say, okay, is it working? Well, no, but it's easy. And so we ask ourselves, am I unwilling to let expectations die? as the way for new blood or new life to be infused into the system I'm, I'm participating in or even into me? Am I resisting a new season? Like living in Arizona, I can resist summer coming, but it comes anyway. I can resist aging, but it happens anyway. Am I willing to let go of my dream or my vision for myself or another person? Now, this is a tough one. Because we may see things in people that they don't see. At some point, though, they will have to be the one to realize it. So I can remind them of what I see, what I know to be true for them, on and on and on, but they still have to be the one to do it. So how about this one? What are the birth pains that I may be ignoring or resisting? What is trying to come out of me? And I'm resisting it because it's too scary, or I don't want to get in trouble, or I don't want someone mad at me. How about this? Am I resisting dying to self? Man, that's a tough one. See, this death has to occur in both the dying for the good for the better and the dying for the thing that is killing me. I can't continue to resist what I know is natural for me to do. And I don't mean things like that are decadent. I'm talking about what God has created in you. So I want you to think about this. The following verse that I'm going to read to you offers us great hope when God promises us in Philippians 1, 6, that, 6, that he will complete the good work he's begun in you and me. So Isaiah 66, verses 7 through 10, and this is out of the Message Bible. It says, before she went into labor, she had the baby. Before the birth pangs hit, she delivered a son. Has anyone ever heard such a thing? Has anyone seen anything like this? A country born in a day, a nation born in a flash. 
but Zion was barely in labor when she had her babies. Do I open the womb and not deliver the baby? Do I, the one who delivers babies, shut the womb? So think about this. We don't know God's mind. And so I may let something die, and for whatever reason it keeps lingering. Well, that tells me something. I may be forcing something to live, and I never can get it off the ground. So remember, when it's about change, we need to identify what change is occurring. So in general, this first type of death is that type of change that is inevitable and unavoidable. It's the I'm growing up. My body's changing. If I resist it and try to avoid it, it's, it, it, I will die too who I'm really truly intended to be. So for example, if I am later in life, I may have to experience more death. This may be due to the fact that I'm moving from the middle to the older generation. Well, this is inevitable and un, 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 unavoidable change, but sad nonetheless. And this is similar to the inevitable and unavoidable change of menopause, imp impotency, my body changing. The question becomes, am I willing to go through the grief and loss process in order to deal with these changes appropriately so that I don't just stop living? So the difficulty is that there's not a real formula for achieving the abundant life. I can give help and explain what is happening. I can give you some knowledge that may even lead to understanding. However, this doesn't automatically lead to wisdom and change. This means the only way out is through. Each of us has a unique growth and developmental process that must be embraced, explored, and walked out. You were born for a reason. And we need to make sure that we are investing time in the reason that we are here on earth. So God bless you. And I pray that you continue to find out what God truly has for you. And I'll join you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be my heart mender, my soul tender, the keeper of my Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.